Good afternoon, everybody. It's a very snowy day here on the holodeck of the Space Show Show. I am your host, uh, Rebecca Frost, joined by Admiral Kerry Jackson. And um, Commander Robert Neal may join us, depending on if his meeting with engineering lets out early. So, <laughs> very important stuff. <laughs> very important stuff. Um, this week, we are talking about some more Next Generation episodes, which include Too Short a Season, When the Bow Breaks, Home Soil, Coming of Age, and Heart of Glory. And personally, I think this is a really interesting batch of episodes because they, a few of them really feel like some original series flair. Mm-hmm. Um, and also this one that we're going to start with too short a season, um, is kind of a reckoning within the screenwriting show running, um, group of the show. Um, so we'll dive right on into it. Too short a season. The Enterprise transports an elderly Starfleet admiral to negotiate a hostage crisis. When the admiral takes a de-aging drug, he endangers both his life and the mission. Um, and uh, the ma- I would love to have a conversation with the makeup department on this one because yeah. um, <laughs> it's it's the same person who did the old age makeup on McCoy in the very first Next Generation episode, which which was not great, which was not great. Um, and, and this, in my opinion, was was not great. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, the two twofold. Um, the makeup horrendous, and the guy playing Admiral Jameson, his name is Clayton Roner, um, just milking every single second yeah. that he is on screen um <laughs> anyways i mean, I mean this, this is this is how over the top his performance is let's say that that's the way the character the admiral really acted mm-hmm. were i jean-luc picard i'd go eh, no there's something wrong with this guy right no, away no. right he's away. He's he's eccentric and not in a fun way, you know, not in a good way. So the Enterprise is traveling to Persephone 5 to collect Admiral Mark Jameson, who loves to just chew scenery um, and transport him to Mordan 4 to uh, lead a hostage negotiation on the planet where he had achieved a successful negotiation 40 years prior. Um, The message was delivered by the ruler of Mordan called Karnas, who has also appeared previously as a Klingon in the original series in, um, I believe it was Trouble with Tribbles. Um, He says that terrorists have captured a Federation ambassador and his staff and are keeping them hostage and they won't negotiate. So they are requesting for Admiral Jameson to come in as the negotiator. Um, And Admiral Jameson is quite vocal in he is in command of the mission and Picard has to be like, but yes, but not of my ship. So please (laughs) know when to step back. Uh, Jameson is also bringing along his wife, Anne. Um, Like you do on an important, you know, thing. Yeah, this this entire episode, it is not the same, but it gave me strong counterclock incident vibes from the animated series, the very last animated oh, series episode. Yes. Okay, thank you. You you're welcome. Um on the way we learn that Jameson um is suffering from the incurable Iverson's disease. Um and he has taken, without telling his wife, an alien rejuvenation drug that Benjamin buttons him and makes him younger. Mm-hmm. Um he refuses to submit to medical tests on the Enterprise at, at which are per protocol, and Beverly, of course, is extremely alarmed at everything that's happening with Jameson because uh there's no proof of recovery from Iverson's disease. So whatever's going on with him is, uh, I don't need your help with this disease. I did my (laughs) own research. Seems suspect. Um, the alien drug is also causing debilitating pain in his chest. So he's just constantly having heart attacks. And, um, Beverly finally finds traces of this chemical, this alien chemical in his blood, but no trace of Iverson's disease. Um, He's confronted about it. He admits that he procured two doses of the drug, one for him and one for his wife. Um, And he was testing it on himself because they warned him that it would be very painful. And um, the drug is supposed to be administered in a slow dosage over two years. But the situation on Mordan 4 has convinced him to just take all of it at once, both him and Anne's dosage. A a, a double dose of ivermectin. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) <laughs> It'll be fine. Go wrong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Jameson calls Karnas to ask him some questions about the terrorists, um, and it becomes apparent that the hostages are being held by Karnas himself and not a terrorist group. So uh, Jameson asks Picard to put his pedal to the metal, and we got to get there sooner. Um, and Jameson also has a memory of the underground tunnels, uh, and he fears that the hostages are being kept in the same tunnels. Um, but he's also he he's deteriorating deteriorating so much because of this drug that everyone is like, yo man, I don't know about this. I yeah. I I I don't know because they get they get down to the tunnels, um, and Data he's like, yo dog, this is what you're remembering is not what's reflecting on the tricorder and jameson is like that's incorrect and i lo i love that data goes to picard and he's like dude he's he's wrong and picard yeah. is like dude i get it i trust you <laughs> and and we also learn that while jameson was a successful negotiator his success was brought about in not quite the manner that's recorded in the federation history books um he admits to Picard that 40 years ago, Carnus was holding Federation people hostage to ask the Federation for weapons. Mm -hmm. um, and Jameson went in and gave Carnus the weapons that he wanted, but also gave the same weapons to the rivals, which then incited a 40 year civil war mm -hmm. on this planet. And he saved lives, um, but also lied to Starfleet mm -hmm. about how he did it. Now, up till this point in the episode, I was like, okay, this, this guy, is like every rich white man I've ever worked for. Yes. You, you can't <laughs> say he's wrong, and mm -mm. he's smarter than everybody. Mm -hmm. And even though the evidence is in front of you that says, dude, you're wrong, it doesn't matter. <sighs> and and yeah. that's what I was going through watching this episode, going every rich white man I've ever worked for right there. And I think that's, I was partially, the. Fr I remember the first time I watched this episode, I was so disinterested in it. And I think it's because of this, older white man attitude yeah, that I just do not have character. patience for. Yeah. It's so extremely unlikable. Um, Karnas promises to execute one hostage every five minutes that Jameson is delayed. And Jameson, despite his heart exploding, insists on continuing on. Um, they get to Karnas and Karnas is like, that's not Jameson. What are you talking about? And Picard <laughs> shows him a series of pictures Sweet. that show him de-aging. <laughs> <laughs> on his iPhone, he just pulls them up and goes, see? Literally. He's like, see, how could this, how can you deny this here's, progression of events? Here's his TikTok video about the whole thing. It's right here. <laughs> Literally. But then finally, Jameson is like, look, I have a scar from our blood oath or whatever. And <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Jameson dies. The The hostages are freed. Ta -da. What a bizarre, this, the episode itself is so bizarre, but there's a reason for this as I, I learned in my research um dc fontana's script for the episode was heavily rewritten by gene roddenberry's lawyer leonard oh, mazelish oh, yeah. fontana quit the show in protest and lodged a complaint with the wga good for you the, but if you think about it dc fontana quitting is huge it is because huge. she's been there since the beginning of all of this so mm -hmm. this this is a huge catalyst for her to leave um this incident also convinced producer maurice hurley that roddenberry no longer knew what he was doing and so hurley pressured roddenberry into handing control of the writing staff over to him exactly just chaos <laughs> <laughs> behind the scenes it feels like again it's it's you know we we hold these people up on a pedestal and you you mm -hmm. know you have to you have to dive in and realize all humans are flawed you know and mm -hmm. so is the great perv of the galaxy maybe grandpa can't drive the car anymore you know <laughs> um this episode was supposed to focus on Clayton Rohner's character, um, but the regular cast felt that he did not work in the ensemble manner very well, no, which didn't. you can tell. He's um, in a completely different show. You could he tell. is. He <laughs> is. He's like, I get to be on screen. I will do everything I can with every facial m muscle that I have. I'm on Sunset Boulevard. Here I go. <laughs> um, his makeup during earlier parts of the show was a source of disappointment, being described as subpar and ineffective. Um, he also has this very funky um, Professor X style wheelchair that <laughs> that prop to, that prop cost the prop department ten 
thousand oh, dollars. Come on. Oh, and it <laughs> and it did not even move well enough to be anything more than a hindrance, and they had to shoot around it. Why can't you just take a regular wheelchair and slap some cardboard strips on it and call it a day? I don't understand. $10,000. There's no, no, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> you know what that is? That's, that's modern day Hollywood MCU money laundering yeah, is what that, that is. is. That is exactly it. Um, I looked up Clayton Roner's um, IMDb and the man has been in a single episode of a lot of shows. <laughs> Oh, he's one of those actors. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, like oh, one of the more recent ones that we may know, um, Ozark, he was in an episode of Ozark. Oh. Um, but he was also Dr. Jones in The Human Centipede 3. <laughs> oh, so some really kind of stuff. Kind of interested to see. He's one of those actors, though, that has continually worked. And he's what I, I heard Kurt Russell refer to this. He's, he's a plumber actor. He shows up, mm -hmm. he does the job, he goes home. That's it. You know? He, yeah. He's, he, his last thing was in 2019 bluff city law in an episode. And he's got mm -hmm. two other things that are in pre and post production coming up. Like the man, he's got a consistent, mm -hmm. consistent oh, and, paycheck. And that Kurt Russell term plumber actor is not a diss by the way. No. To, for, to Kurt Russell. That's, that's all he really ever wanted to do when he was a mm -hmm. kid was just be that plumber actor shows up on an episode he does an episode of lost in space he goes home you know things yep. like that yeah it's not a bad gig if you can get it yeah, exactly. um the next episode we're going to talk about when the bow breaks oh children a planet that was able to cloak itself for thousands of years suddenly reveals itself with its inhabitants proposing peace. But after initial negotiations, the children of the Enterprise are kidnapped due to infertility of the inhabitants. Ah, okay. <clears throat> at, the, at the time the show was made, we knew a lot about genetics. Apparently mm -hmm. the writers didn't bother to look into it. <laughs> I love... The the the, pro the source of the problem here is something that in the 90s and the early aughts was a big deal. And mm -hmm. now in the year of our Lord 2024, we, I, we do not give a hoot. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get to it. Um, the Enterprise is delighted with a rare chance to visit technologically advanced planet Aldea, which has long prevented access by means of, perfect, of a perfect cloaking technique. Um, but now the cloaking device is off. The planet has revealed itself to the Enterprise, and they, are, the Enterprise is welcomed to Aldea, um, not with consent though. They they're so technologically advanced that they can um, beam whoever, whenever, wherever. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Riker, Deanna, and Beverly are beamed down uh, without having been consented, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> and um, they learn more about the planet um, and how the people lead a life of leisure and their central computer just takes care of everything. Yeah. And um, to the point where they're stupid. To the point where they're stupid. And yeah. oh, crazy how history just and, repeats itself. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the computer does everything for them to the point where they're stupid, to the point where once again, Wesley has to save the day because he's the smartest person. Because he's the child prodigy. Um, yeah. They have a medical nightmare, endemic infertility, so they would like to adopt earthling children. Um, and they're, pro they're proposing an exchange. We will take some of your children, but in exchange, we will give you so much technological knowledge that mm -hmm. personally, I felt like they should have taken it. But well, I'm also... Not a person who's good with kids. <laughs> I'm not either, but I kept yelling at the screen, okay, you don't have to take those kids. Surely they're still Star Trek orphanages. Surely, uh, totally. Surely right? there are kids without parents in the future still. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, maybe adopt those kids. But even then, their whole plan to repopulate their species is not going to happen. Because it's just going to mm -hmm. be humans. That's it. It's just mm -hmm. going to be humans because you guys can't have kids. 
The kids will be having kids with kids, and they're all human kids. You're not continuing your species. A five-point plan? Absolutely not. We have a one-point plan, and we will go from there. And that is kidnap the kids, and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so they have conducted a scan of the entire ship and identifying all of the kids on, on board. Um, Riker obviously says no, and Deanna has to explain humans are very unusually attached to their children. <laughs> um, but the Aldeans... Mm, oh, they again just beam whoever they want and they they take wesley of course child prodigy and several other children um and these children in particular seem to be air quotes gifted yeah which imagine being one of the other kids left on board the enterprise kidnap me mom uh, what are you, what <laughs> It's like that scene in the new Dungeons and Dragons movie where they're they're going to the Underdark and they're these like little brain creatures who they will only attack you if they read brain activity and they just completely ignore the group. And Chris Pine is like, well, that kind of hurts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and and a lot there was a lot happening in this episode that I, I you know was was yelling at the screen about one of them. <laughs> One of them being, you know, uh, the kid who hates his parents. Naturally, he's going to get kidnapped and go, hey, mm -hmm. uh, second second chance here. But then there was the other part where it was, uh, uh, you know, well, you're you're an artist, son. You're an artist. And he's like, no, I've never. <laughs> no, don't worry. The tools will make you an artist, you know. We have sensed deep within you yes. the desire and the skills to be an artist. And we will we will groom you in such a way that you will be an artist. And and so they they give the kid the tools and he's he's showing some aptitude, but then toward the end he's like, no, nah, I'm good, I'm good, <laughs> which <laughs> which was just so that was like the realistic part, you know, trying to get mm -hmm. your kid to, to go in a certain direction. If if you want your kid to go in that direction, tell him he should go in the opposite direction, and naturally mm -hmm. he will rebel. At, you know, so mm -hmm. that parent on the Enterprise should have said, no, you don't want to be an artist, or you know, and then he would want to be an artist, you know. Well, that's the thing about being in Starfleet, though. Starfleet is so full of people who just don't lie. And so why would you lie to your children? You have to do calculus anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the kids um, are assigned to different families. Um, Wesley, of course, because he's the eldest, is kind of yes. in charge. Ugh, I never want to be... <laughs> <laughs> and have Wesley Crusher in charge of me. Um, one, however, one of the people that we met earlier on, um, she takes a special interest in one of the children and is like, oh, no, I'm not giving this one up. I like this one. It will be my pet. <laughs> um, so Wesley is, is shown the planet's computer in a mysterious room that he thinks contains the power source. The planet's computer has had no maintenance for many, many centuries. And well, we all know, and, how, that uh, we all know <laughs> how that goes. You got to take an, a compressed air canister to it at least once every five yeah. years. And you got to get those updates. God, you got to get those Windows updates. <laughs> Beverly is allowed to meet Wesley briefly, the subtlest family in the Starfleet because she gives him a hug and so awkwardly gives him a scanner and he does a quick scan on on Duana and um <laughs> we learn that um she the Duana is dying due to a chromosomal damage which could be hereditary could be environmental um and then later they figure out that the ozone layer has weakened over centuries and the effect of their damage mm -hmm. um is being caused by radiation from the ozone layer which is something that affected earth in the early 21st century Oh, really? <laughs> and they put so much emphasis on that of like, whoop, whoop, it is 1980s. Don't forget, we have problems on Earth now, and it's our ozone layer. Stop using your aerosol cans, everybody. Stop using your straws. Those will fix it. Um, uh, uh, so just there's such a heavy-handed message in this episode of if we don't fix our ozone layer, the radiation is going to make us infertile think about it and i don't think that's how that works at all <laughs> I think, uh, I, you know for a sci-fi show it might be a good premise maybe it is real i don't know all i don't I know, know i'm not a that their magic computer would have told them if they'd have taken that windows <laughs> update you know i'm not a scientist but it's also being caused because of these shields that they have up so them remaining hidden for you know so many thousands of years is also the thing that's killing them um 
Picard, of course, is trying to negotiate to get the kids back. And um, Radu, the leader, is like, no, we're going to keep that. That is not a negotiation. We offered you an exchange. Um, And he was like, if you don't negotiate or if you don't agree with us, we will. We he does a little finger flick essentially and sends the enterprise three days away mm-hmm. and um uh, i think that would be good technology to have honestly <laughs> <laughs> but back on back on aldea wesley is telling the kids to do a, a passive protest a hunger strike essentially so they are just all sitting in a room together not doing what they want to do the one kid has made a beautiful dolphin statue uh and so maybe he does have a future in sculpting. Um, but ultimately, um, Riker and Data get down to the planet as well with um, Picard and Beverly. And um, they knock out the power source. Beverly explains, hey, this is what's going on. We can fix it. We can fix it. Um, and they beam the kids back on board. They fix the ozone layer. Um, and they can have kids in the future. Um Neato, you know. My a uh, couple of couple of, well, one of my favorite parts of this of this episode was toward the end where the the aliens that have kidnapped the human kids are asking the human you know people, how do you get them to pay attention to you? This is not fun. They are <laughs> they're terrible. I we don't like these children. How do you get them to listen to you? And mm-hmm. I was just like, okay, that's the best part of the episode. Yeah, right there. yeah real talk kids are terrible um throughout this episode the youngest child alexandra played by twins vanessa and jessica bova carried a stuffed toy a tribble Mm -hmm. uh and also uncredited guest children include jeremy wheaton and amy wheaton um younger siblings of will wheaton the wheatons which that's nice but uh okay so from the uh neither of us have kids but here's some advice from the 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 old kidless parent. I, <laughs> I receive phone calls from people I know that have kids and they're like, I don't know what to do. My kid is into blank Pokemon, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. How do I get him out of it? My first answer is, why would you? if he loves it, why are you bothering? Why, why does this, yeah. if he loves it, let him have it. Well, I want him to, okay, if you want him to stop doing the thing that you want him to stop doing, you need to embrace it. You need to mm-hmm. learn more about Pokemon than even he does. And then once dad thinks it's cool, it's no longer cool. You, you need can... to be yes. so knowledgeable in mm-hmm. that thing yep. and treat it like it's your favorite thing in the whole wide world. And then they'll they'll not want it. Conversely, like with the calculus thing, oh, I don't want to have to do calculus. That's when you should look the kid in the eye and say, I forbid you from doing calculus. (laughs) I don't want any calculus books in this house. And if you even (laughs) say the word calculus, you're going to get the back of my hand. I want no calculus in this house. (laughs) That's how you get a kid interested in calculus. Mm -hmm. I I was both very lucky and very cursed in that my parents let me try whatever I wanted to try. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did ballet. I had guitar lessons. I I did basketball. I did all kinds of stuff, but I also have ADHD. So my interest in those things waned very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I do wish there would have been some form of like, hey, pick a thing Mm -hmm. and stick with it. Well, you know what got Carrie out of sports? His dad. Get in there and hustle. Well, you're not even trying. You, uh, yeah, you want to get it, you want to get me out of sports real quick. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I've not looked back. Uh, um. <laughs> anyway, I did. I did revisit sports in my twenties, but that's okay. Um, the next episode, Home Soil, another um very original series coded episode on Valera three, Jordy and data discover a microscopic life form responsible for the death of an engineer stationed on the base. Um, this episode, it, it also, it felt so much like an original series episode. And later it does critics do say, Hey, this is a lot like this, uh, previous episode from the original series that I'll talk about later. Um, the enterprise visits a team of scientists and engineers terraforming on Valera three. Um, the team leader isn't very welcoming, stating that they are very busy, um, but Picard insists. Um, mm-hmm. 
Deanna, love to have a Deanna. She is like, vibes are off. <laughs> vibes yeah. are off here. Something <laughs> is not ideal. Yeah. They're hiding something. <laughs> uh, and, and then uh, the terraforming fan club beams down to the planet. <laughs> and they're all such fanboys and girls about terraforming, Ooh, you know. It's I mean, fascinating. it's kind of cool. <laughs> it is kind of cool. Um, but uh, one of the crew members is having trouble with power surges in the hydraulic conversion chambers. Like um, the one hot woman on the team, Louisa, explains that terraforming involves phase two, where water is formed on the planet. On Valara, all of the water is subsurface, but extremely high in salt content. So Arthur and his machines are in charge of pumping the water out of the ground and filtering it, making it fit for consumption and also supporting life. Um, this planet in particular was selected because of its complete absence of any life forms. And the terraforming initiative takes about 30 years. Yeah. Uh, so they are now in the process of removing the salts from the natural water supply uh, and as the first step in creating a sustainable environment. Um, Arthur is sent to the hydraulics chamber um, where they are using laser drills. Uh, and the lasers come alive and start attacking Arthur. And they only stop when Arthur stops screaming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they finally get in. They, they shut power off to that section. They beam Arthur to the Enterprise for medical help. He is he is dang messed up by the lasers. Um, they restore power to the hydraulics chamber and Data goes in there to figure out um, if the lasers were not moving by some predetermined programming or some form of highly advanced pro uh, dynamic programming. Um, the lasers were following life form inside the chamber and so the laser attacks him as well but data's got the matrix moves mm -hmm. and is able to avoid <laughs> being killed by the laser and um they determined that um this one, one of these one of these guys is he is causing trouble with this laser um but also on the planet, Jordy and Data come across a non-carbon-based object that glows and gives the appearance of life. They beam it up and Beverly thinks that this is an inorganic life form. Kurt, the leader, refuses any knowledge of this, but Deanna yeah. senses uh -uh. the vibes are off. He's fibbing. <laughs> uh, Kurt has an advanced degrees in artificial intelligence and programming, and Picard thinks that Kurt possibly reprogram these lasers <clears throat> this object however is attempting to communicate with the crew and it is so obvious they'd have encountered a new life form like no other uh, this life form divides to reproduce and suddenly tries to speak to picard and beverly via the translator multiple cells have organized themselves into a basic computer picard panics and orders a quarantine because uh -huh, <laughs> we, we don't yeah. know what this is <laughs> And um, confronts Kurt, who admits knew admits that he knew about the silicone-based crystals, but he wasn't aware that it had any life. Um, he had attributed any signals coming from it to natural planetary phenomenon. Um, meanwhile, the quarantine around the lab starts failing as energy keeps getting diverted to other areas. Uh, the life form speaks again to Picard and says <laughs> that they were being killed on the surface and the humans did not stop despite the communication. They declared war on the humans and start destabilizing the Enterprise. Through electrical impulses, they've hacked into the Enterprise computers and reprogrammed them, and now they have total control. It turns out the water from the saline water layer on the surface um, is how the life form on the planet connects to each other and communicates. So removing that saline layer would have led to extinction of that species, which is why the species is like, hey, please, please stop. Well, you know, when it's not calling us ugly bags of mostly water. Ugly bags of mostly <laughs> water. Just incredible. Um, they uh, ultimately come to a truce, you know, mm -hmm. uh, said we're sorry blah, blah, blah. we didn't know you were there <laughs> we're so whoopsies um it's like, like okay, that well, uh, yeah <laughs> it is like um oh so many so many other episodes and movies what is uh, i'm thinking i think of that first encounter at farpoint um with the with the jellyfish right yeah. and how yeah, you did, know we didn't know it was a life form sorry how there are you know there's just so many oh and also an episode of strange new worlds that does this too where mm -hmm. um we are my we are mining things that just happens to also be killing the the life forms on the planet um <clears throat> this uh the crystalline life form 
spawned the phrase ugly bags of mostly water which has been used as the title of a documentary about star trek fans and <laughs> as the name of a song by the band street nicks as oh. well as being referenced by dream warriors in the lyrics of my definition of a boombastic jazz theme wow i did not look up any of those things let's see and i had no idea that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. I, I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> this episode was a second time on Star Trek for Caroline Barry. 21 years earlier, she appeared as Metron in Arena under the name Carol Shaline. Chikuf, was that her? Uh, Metron. Yeah, uh, yeah Metron. Uh, yeah. yeah, one of the Metrons. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that's Chikuf. <laughs> you know, the drill thrall. You uh, know. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I and wrong. then um, also critics compared the appearance of inorganic life forms in the story to the plot of the devil in the dark, especially um, with references to silicone, because those creatures were silicone. That's right. Um, next episode, one for the kids coming of age, Picard finds himself facing a strenuous test of his loyalty to Starfleet, one which the other members of the crew are struggling to cope with, whilst Wesley faces an equally air quotes equally challenging entrance exam at starfleet academy um this one is very much for the kids because so much of it is just um wesley's off at school taking mm -hmm. tests you know like kids do yeah um he's on relva uh seven and makes friends with a few of the other candidates seeking admission um there are five of four or five of them total four of them yeah, it's four, four of them. Yeah. And only one of them will be accepted into the there's, academy. There's Wesley, another human girl, a Vulcan girl, and a, I think it's a Benzite, is that? Uh, Mordok. Mordok. He's a Mordok, yeah. Well, his name is Mordok, but he's a, I want oh. to say he's a Benzite, is the alien. Yes. I could be wrong. He had an action um, figure, I know that. Oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> his, his, his setup is really cool because he has this breathing apparatus that is constantly pumping out, um, mm -hmm whatever he needs to survive um wesley is particularly worried about the psychological evaluation of this tetch which will focus on what he fears the most but he has no idea what that is um but meanwhile in the b plot picard's old friend admiral gregory quinn requests to be beam aboard and um he arrives with commander remick uh, from the inspector general's office, Remick is there to conduct a complete investigation of the ship's operations uh, because they have reason to believe that something is very wrong with the Enterprise. So the Enterprise is going through an audit while Wesley is off at school. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone aboard the Enterprise is pissed about this. They're uh, pissed. They're on edge. They don't like it. Can't blame them. Mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, this guy, Remick, is a dick. Oh, he's just an asshole about the yeah. whole thing. And and it's just because he's been told something that we don't know about yet until the season finale will come along and then you'll kind of get the idea. Um, but yeah, and and I, I understand it. You know, if someone were to come and do an audit of the Geek Show podcast, I would be like, <laughs> well, I mean, these guys are my friends and I kind of trust them. So I don't know why you're up in here saying saying things that aren't necessarily true and throwing accusations around we don't need to bring in any professionals to audit the geek show podcast we have our <laughs> listeners for that that's all they do you know <laughs> check the comment section exactly. that's our that's our weekly audit mm -hmm. yeah. um tyler says carrie is an asshole <laughs> there you go. That's um the crew is questioned about picard's decision-making process during uh, his decision-making process during the Kozinski incident and the Ferengi incident. Um, while all of this is happening, one of the passengers of the Enterprise, Jake Kurland, steals a shuttlecraft from the bay and escapes from the Enterprise. He was friends with Wesley and is disappointed for not being shortlisted for the Academy test. He should have been smarter. He had lower test scores and he did not qualify for the Academy entrance exam. So he intended to leave and join a freighter to roam the stars but he damages the shuttlecraft engines again this is why you didn't pass exactly and, <laughs> and that's why the freighter to the stars won't accept you as their crew either 
<laughs> he damages the shuttlecraft engines and is headed to burn up in Relva's atmosphere. Um, it's a very stressful moment. The tractor beams won't work and the engines won't restart for 30 seconds, but Picard keeps his cool, gives mm-hmm. very precise instructions to Jake, and helps him avoid death by maneuvering his spacecraft out of the atmosphere. Walks him through the landing, just like in every airport movie you've ever seen. <laughs> Which, you know, then leads to... Um, you know, General Quinn doing like a. Oh, good. For excellent. You. <laughs> excellent work. This is precisely what we wanted to see. Um, but meanwhile, back in Wesley's test, um, <laughs> he is um, confronted with a bully. And I was caught so off guard. I was like, what do you mean bullies in Starfleet Academy? That can't be right at all. Turns out this guy is a Zoldan who views courtesy as a sign of disrespect. And so Wesley becomes rude and the Zoldan gracefully backs off. And the instructor. That was a test. Quite impressive. Yes, that was another one of my ingenious tests. The thing about the, the the thing about this episode, one of my biggest pet peeves in the whole wide world is um secretly being tested. And ooh. Ooh, what I hate every second of this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so Wesley also is helping the other candidates um, when they struggle with their tests, of course, because he's the kindest child prodigy to ever exist. Um, meanwhile, Remick is still questioning everybody on the Enterprise. This is when we get the introduction of the Riker maneuver, where <laughs> the first time we see Riker step over a stool to sit in the sexy way that he does. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um uh picard finally is like dude what what is happening here and um turns out uh that uh they they want picard to come back to the academy to teach i believe Mm -hmm. um and uh picard is like oh uh, i don't uh i don't i don't know about this um Oh, because uh, he, Quinn finally reveals that the Federation is under threat from insiders. Someone is attacking the very fabric of the Federation and thus Starfleet, and they want to be very sure about whom they trust. Again, so season, season finale is coming. Oh, so he wants to promote Picard to an admiral position to take control of Starfleet Academy, um, but Picard declines because Enterprise is home, baby. Even Remick, right. the man doing the audit, says that, hey, uh, when... When my when I'm done at the investigator inter, internal investigator affairs general office, um, I would like to serve on the Enterprise, please, because these guys rule. Like, yeah, obviously, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a show. They have a show. Of course, <laughs> they, they have rule. their own show. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Wesley's about to face his final exam, um, which is a simulated explosion in the test center. This is very, this is very like total recall stuff because he's in the test room writing and then something is happening outside the room and he's like, "Uh Oh, and so he gets into the explosion area and finds hydrogen leaking from storage, which will blow at any second. And he saves an old man, but he cannot save a frightened young person who won't come out of the room before it is sealed to contain the explosion. Um, <laughs> he learns the, he learns that this was a test and he had to make a choice and he did. <laughs> Excellent. Another one of my tests. <laughs> <laughs> and um this was the same way that Picard had made a choice that led to the death of Wesley's father. So Wesley's biggest fear was, you know, having to make this same kind of choice that ultimately killed his father. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, what uh what would what would your big fear be that you would have to face in Starfleet Academy. Hmm. Hmm. I think mine I think mine would be um being in a room full of people and all of them thinking I'm stupid. I think that would be <laughs> I think that might be like my biggest fear. A Starfleet fear? I boy, I don't I don't know. I know what it would be. What, what is if that? if if my instructors found out that I cheated on the Kobayashi Maru, I would hate if they found out that I cheated. Oh no, that would be my biggest fear. Hmm. Maybe just I don't will. cheat. No, I will <laughs> cheat. I will cheat on that test. Hmm. Hmm. 
Um, some trivia for this episode, starting with this episode, Maurice Hurley took over the job as showrunner from Gene Roddenberry. Thank Hurley goodness. was concerned that the show's writing process had stalled under Roddenberry's leadership, so he personally paid for a holiday for Roddenberry and Majel Barrett on the understanding that he would take over while they were gone. Get out of town. Uh, Upon his eventual return, Roddenberry opted to leave Hurley in charge of the writing staff. He just needed a nice vacation for and for Majel Barrett to be like, hey, honey, maybe. Honey, um, have you thought about this? Everything you touch, you ruin. Have you thought about this? <laughs> God, a saint Majel Barrett is. I don't know how she I don't know how she did it. I, you know, she put up with a lot from him. Yeah. And, you know, not just the attitude and all of this stuff, but the cheating. But yeah. Uh, you know, he was he was a womanizer. And and she, you know, I didn't appreciate her when she was around, but you know, now I hear all these stories and do yeah. this research with for this show and, and you find out the truth about Majel Barrett and she's like, you know, yeah, she she put up with a lot from that man. <laughs> Truly an angel. Um, this is the first episode to feature Commander Riker sitting in a chair by lifting his leg over the back and straddling it. Yep. The unique way of sitting eventually becomes something of a signature move for the character, coined the Riker Maneuver by devoted fans of the series. And uh, Room 101 might be a reference to George Orwell's uh, 1984, where oh. Room 101 was used to psychologically break the subjects by torturing them with their greatest fears. I'll bet it is. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, a very interesting episode, Heart of Glory. The Enterprise searches for answers as to why three, 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 on, why three Klingon warriors were the only survivors aboard a freighter just inside the neutral zone, which was seemingly attacked by a Ferengi ship. Um, this is the first next-gen episode that really dives into Klingon stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is also right around the time when... Um, uh, undiscovered country is is milling around and so we do have some kind of outside klingon sources but no real klingon stuff within next generation next generation i mean other than Worf, obviously uh, yeah. yeah um the enterprise responds to a disturbance in the neutral zone with reports of a possible romulan attack on a telarian freighter um the there's debris in the area and the freighter has obviously suffered some damage um the freighter is fatigued due to prolonged battle and is likely to rupture in five minutes. Picard sends Riker, Data, and Geordi as an away team to investigate. On board, they find three Klingons, one of them seriously injured. Um, the survivors are not very forthcoming about what happened, nor how the three Klingon warriors even ended up on a space freighter. And all of them are beamed aboard the Enterprise before the ship blows up. Uh, this is also, we get um, a view for the first time through Geordi's visor. And... Am I to believe it looks that terrible in the year 23-whatever? Again, <laughs> again, I will just say this, that um, the technology that we had when these shows were being put together, I know because my uncle had one of these deals in his head, and, and it, was, it was a device. He was blind, my uncle Craig. He was blind, and he had a device implanted in his head that connected to his eye, and it was to help him see and 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 he would describe it and it was much clearer than what Jordy could see <laughs> so I, I'm telling, I don't know why they thought is it because it looked cool I, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah like is there something I'm missing yeah but uh just the little terror anyway so back on the enterprise and um, the klingons are led by commander chorus and he says they were passengers aboard the tillerian cargo vessel when they came attack um came under attack from the ferengi um the Talarian vessel, uh, the captain had no combat experience so the klingons took over and deceived the ferengi by lowering their shields and playing dead but the um the Talarian ship blasted them to bits with some old rockets, um, but saying that during the battle, the ship may have drifted into the neutral zone. Um, Picard and Worf, not, not quite convinced because uh, the weapons discharge in the area of the battle do not resemble the Ferengi. They resemble Klingon weapons discharges. Yep. So Picard contacts Starfleet to find out everything possible about Chorus and his crew. Um, the injured Klingon dies and we get to experience a Klingon death ritual, which I did not like. Uh, <laughs> um, 
and the remaining two Klingons try to recruit Worf to their cause by appealing to his Klingon heritage and pride. But uh, come on, this come is on to join us. Let's do some crimes. Come on, do get, be gay, get, do crimes. Come yeah, on, <laughs> let's get some sushi and not pay for it. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> um, but this is where we get. Worf history and Worf lore. Uh, Worf was raised on a Klingon outpost when it was attacked by Romulans, and he was left for dead underneath debris when a human Starfleet officer rescued him and raised him as a son. This happened before his age of inclusion into the Klingon society, which I read a little bit more because I didn't quite understand what that was. And it's essentially a Klingon bar mitzvah where they turn 13 and then they (laughs) they, um, do this age of ascension ritual. Um, but he was, you know, found by a human Starfleet officer before he was 13. Um, Chorus and Conmel, the two Klingons, tell him that they were looking for a new world where they could be true Klingon warriors and that the debris the Enterprise found was actually that of a Klingon battlecruiser they fought and destroyed. Um, the cruiser was sent to bring them back. Mm-hmm. Um, they argue that the new alliance is a death to warriors like them and their eventual mission is to break the alliance. So there are so this also tells us that there are still some Klingons in the galaxy that mm-hmm. are not super jazzed about their alliance with the Federation. Yeah. Well, I mean it's um, only been a few generations since mm-hmm. the Kittimer Accords and you know the Klingons really didn't have a choice but to, you know, join the Federation otherwise they would they would have died out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was there was it again, you know, we can see it here with us humans. Uh, we're slow to change, you know, we're, mm-hmm. we're slow to change our minds about people or things or establishments or things like that. And and so naturally, I would think that there would be generations of Klingons, probably all the way up through to, uh, you know, the current Federation. I'm sure there are generations of Klingons who still, this darn Federation. I oh, totally. Like, yeah. like, how many people are still flying Confederate flags, you know, oh. like, yep. Uh, doomed to repeat. So the Enterprise comes into contact with a second Klingon cruiser led by Commander Kinera, who wants the renegades um, arrested and turned over to them. Uh, he informs Picard that Chorus and his men destroyed the Klingon cruiser that was sent to arrest them and bring them back. Um, Picard asks Yar to locate the Klingons and confine them to security. Chorus wants Worf to fight for them, but Worf is like, nah, dog, that ain't for me. Um, the Klingons are arrested and put in a holding cell. Worf knows that Kinera will execute them. And with Picard's permission, Worf pleads Chorus's case with Kinera and says that the renegades deserve punishment, but not death with dishonor. Worf wants the prisoners to be released on a planet in the Halley system with weapons in their hands. The planets have dangerous life forms, have dangerous life forms, which will kill the prisoners, but that would be an honorable death for the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Which is nice, right? Like Worf is sure. like, hey, they're Klingons. They got to die a very specific way. And you got, like, I understand the death penalty, but, like, they got to die with honor or else it's a big they're thing. not going to Valhalla. Exactly. It's a big thing with the Klingons. They... Um, Kinera says his hands are tied and he cannot send them to the Halley system as requested. Um, Chorus and Conmel try to escape the brig, but Conmel is killed. So we get another Klingon death ritual. Chorus is now loose and armed. He gets into engineering, aims his phaser on the main dilithium chambers. Worf seeks permission to intervene. Chorus wants to separate the saucer of the Enterprise and gain access of the battle bridge and wage war on the Federation. Worf tells Chorus that his goals are not the Klingon way and that he is not a real warrior. Chorus attacks. Worf kills him. Ultimately, killing him with honor, right? Mm-hmm. Death by the hands yeah. of another Klingon in battle. So Exactly. Um, Michael Doran was pleased with the outcome of this episode, as he felt it showed producers that the fans were just as interested in his character as the other characters in the main cast. He felt it could have been taken further and wanted there to be an epic battle at the end of the episode. Well, you'll um, get that. You'll get that coming up in <laughs> season two. Don't worry. Excellent. Um... This is the first time a point of view from Jordy's LaForge visor is seen, which horrible. Yeah. Um, and Worf states that he was orphaned on the Kitomer outpost. This is the first mention of this location in Star Trek, but was later used in the Undiscovered Country yeah. as the site of the Kitomer Accords, which reconciled the Federation with the Klingon Empire. And fittingly, Michael Doran also appeared in that film as Worf's grandfather. Yes. Um, I I. I called Worf the Clark Kent of Klingons in this episode <laughs> just because my little orphaned 
my little orphaned boy, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and that's, and that's, and it's a great story and it'll be explored in, in the upcoming seasons of this show. Uh, you'll get to meet uh, Worf's parents eventually. Uh, his human parents. Oh, I was like, what do you mean his parents? No, no, he's <laughs> human parents. His human you'll, parents. you'll meet them Aww. coming up uh, eventually. Are they and, nice? And it, do we like them? Well, yeah. They're okay. Mm. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's that's all coming up. But I, I keep getting coming back to, I think the reason, because I'm, I'm flashing back to when I first watched these episodes when they first aired in syndication, and I wasn't keen on The Next Generation. Now I'm flashing back and I'm looking at it, and I think... I think I may have, well, there was two things that was holding me back from liking Worf until much later. Two things. One, I'm sorry, Michael Dorn is a stiff actor. He's not Aww. that good. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's just not, that's just me. If you love him, yeah. hey, go with Crom. Uh, he just, he's a, he's a, he gives a stiff performance. Secondly, I think I let his bad haircut make me not like him even more. Because he's hmm. got this short kind of thing happening. Mm -hmm. Now that gets remedied later down the road, and they let him have long Klingon hair like he's supposed to. But this this short thing is just I'm I'm not intimidated by that, no matter how much you growl. <laughs> he sorry. does. This version of Worf really does have like a I don't want to say like a childlike demeanor to him, but mm. I just. I don't look to him as the next in command, right? Like if I was on the bridge, I wouldn't look to him to tell me what to do. Absolutely. Um, I did, ha you know, I had a question about the difference between his position and Tasha Yar's position. And, you know, she seems to be of an elevated rank above him, um, which definitely changes when she leaves. But um, yeah, I just, he, I just, I'll don't say get it. leadership vibes from him. I'll say it at this point in the series, Tasha is much more competent and much more of a badass than War. Mm -hmm. I'll yeah. just say it, you know. Yeah, there was a moment. Seen. There was a moment in um, Too Short a Season where Tasha really demonstrates because uh, they're in a shootout on the mm -hmm. planet with the hostages, and oh, she yeah. gets right in front of Picard, and I'm like, ooh. Yeah, yes, great. Again, <laughs> me coming back and watching this again, I have a whole new appreciation for Tasha Yar now. I never mm -hmm. thought much about her. Now that I'm re-watching the show, I'm like, oh no, I she was done wrong. She was totally. done wrong on this series and, and ugh, crimes, and I'm telling you. Like same same thing same thing too because when I watched this for the first time over a year ago I was like oh Tasha Yar get out of here but now knowing more about her and the character and what they they done did her dirty and what really happened behind the scenes yeah mm -hmm. and we'll yeah. get to that in the upcoming next five episodes right um so it's the next episode that we will record will be six episodes because it's the end of the season oh so. Yes. Uh, so we're going to uh, be talking about the arsenal of freedom, symbiosis, skin of evil, we'll always have Paris, conspiracy, and the neutral zone. So um, might be a link, might be a little bit lengthier, but um, mm -hmm. it felt better to do six episodes instead of five and then one random episode. I'll say this, the rest of these episodes, I think, are, are mostly pretty solid. Mm hmm. I yeah I I looking at the titles I only remember we'll always have Paris because that's such a Picard centric episode that uh, I'm looking I'm looking having read the book looking forward to watching that episode mm -hmm. um, but that's where we will be next time and you can catch us there and we will keep going where no man has gone before but a lot of men have gone before thanks everyone.